0: You can always catch up on Mike's teaching on our website at ccmit.org. We're currently going through the book of Luke in a series titled The Uncommon Gospel. So grab your Bible, turn up the volume, and follow along with us. Here's Pastor Mike.
1: Luke chapter 6 is where we're at this morning. Have you ever broken the rules? I would submit to you that there's a difference. There's a difference between a stranger and a friend. And there's a difference between a stranger and a son. A huge difference, isn't there? You know, if I were to come into my room, and there was, or into my living room, and there was a child sitting on my couch, eating food on my couch, I would probably just call the cops. Because my kids would never eat food on my couch. They know that's, not, that's against the rules. So this is some other kid. I don't even know how he got in my house. Why is he in my house? I'm not going to interrogate him or anything, I'll probably go, hey, where are you from, buddy? What's going on? You need something? Let's go to the table. You know, don't eat on my couch, you know? And and then I'd call the cops and figure out where this kid belongs. because He doesn't belong in my house, right? It's unlawful for him to eat on my couch. It's unlawful for him to be in my house. However, if it's one of my children, then it's going to be different, right? Because children have different privileges than strangers. And for us, if we have a foster child in our house, of course, with my children, I'm going to kiss them and put them to bed, right? And foster kids, I'll kiss them and put them to bed. But if my kid eats on the couch, I'm going to give him a spank. And if my foster kid eats on the couch, I'm going to train him to say, hey, we don't eat on the couch. I'm not going to spank somebody else's kid. And so there's different rules for different people. And I I would look at David's life and I would see the way that David lived. And I would say that his relationship with God was somewhere along the lines of an Abrahamic relationship. A friend of God. He was also maybe more of a New Testament believer in the way that he saw God and believed in the Lord. That is not about the rules. It's about knowing God. And those rules are there to show us how to know God. But then it, it, they also are there to show us that God loves us and, and that our health and our safety is more important than the letter of the law. It's, it was interesting, David Guzik tells a story of a couple, an Orthodox Jewish couple who were living in New York City back in the 70s, and they something happened. Now, it's against the law to kindle a fire on the Sabbath day, so I'm not sure exactly how this happened, but a, a fire broke out in their apartment somehow. And they knew that it's against the law, the, the Jewish law, to pick up the phone, because when you pick up the phone, it makes a spark, and that would include kindling a fire and so they would not pick up the phone because they wouldn't want the electronic spark to go down the line or whatever and so rather than call the fire department they ran down two flights of stairs they ran next door to the rabbi's house and they said rabbi what do we do we have a fire in our apartment it was a small fire at the time we have a fire in our apartment is it okay is it lawful on the Sabbath day to call the fire department and he says, I don't know, I'm going to, have to, I'm going to have to look at that. And so he went inside and he deliberated for about an hour. And by the time he came out and said, yes, it's lawful to call the fire department, the whole place was consumed and the neighbor's houses were all burnt down. It's ridiculous. The letter of the law or the spirit of the law. Just because someone knows the Bible and the rules the Bible lays out, they can miss the more important thing and they can miss knowing God and the heart of God. In Hosea 6, 6, it says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You see, when it comes to judgments, when it comes to making decisions, I'm always, and and I've said this for years, but I'm always of the opinion that I'd rather err on the side of mercy, err on the side of grace, than err on the side of judgment. Because if I'm going to be guilty of something, I want to be guilty of being too merciful too merciful and not too harsh and certainly jesus had that same heart verse five it says and he said to them the son of man is also lord of the sabbath there are a few things in the statement we should take note of first of all jesus calls himself the son of man and and of course in daniel chapter 7 verse 13 it tells us who the son of man is Says this the one like coming like the son of man in the clouds of heaven and then he's given complete rule and dominion over everything. So Jesus is calling himself the Messiah. But then he also says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? That he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, we see that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, in the Ten Commandments. It says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. The Yahweh your Elohim, the, the name of God and the word to describe God or the title of God, the Lord your God. And Jesus is claiming very much that he right here is God. I don't know if they understood this statement, but that's what Jesus is saying. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6, this is now it happened on another Sabbath also, that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Mark's gospel tells us that he entered a second time in the Sabbath that it was Capernaum that they were at and so he come back to Capernaum he'd been there one Sabbath day he comes back a second Sabbath day and I'm sure they were very glad to see Jesus back that second Sabbath day I mean it, it, wherever Jesus went he did amazing things right and before when he was in Capernaum he'd done amazing things and now he's back and and they're hoping he's going to come back a second time and he, certainly he did and so to set the scene for the, this particular service, there was a man there, it says, who had a withered hand. His hand was atrophied, it was bent over, it was, it was stricken, it couldn't, he couldn't straighten it out, and it was kind of pressed against his, his, his body. It was withered. It must have been a difficult thing to live with. Now, I wonder if this was someone who normally attended this synagogue. I would say probably not. And, and the reason is, is because a person with a withered hand, if you read the law, anybody with a crooked nose, anybody with a, one leg shorter than the other, anyone with a, a, a withered hand or, or a withered part of their body or a deformity of any kind, was not allowed to enter into the temple. Now that seems harsh, I know. They could go into the into the court of the Gentiles, but they could not enter into the temple because They were a broken person, in a sense. And God is holy. And and it was a metaphor. It wasn't because God was trying to be cruel to those people. Of course, he would tear down the middle wall of separation, and he would let everybody come in, right? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it was a metaphor of fallen man being separated from mankind. The truth is, is that nobody could get any closer to God than anyone else when it came right down to it. But, but here's this metaphor, and so a man with a withered hand would be looked at as somebody who was cursed. You remember that it was Jeroboam who, when the man of God cursed him and said that this altar in Bethel is a curse to you, and God's going to judge you for it, he stretched his hand out to point at the man of God, and immediately it withered. And his hand was withered up, and, and he said, pray for me, please. And the man of God prayed for him, and his hand was restored. So certainly a man with a withered hand would be looked at as somebody who was cursed by God. So this guy probably didn't come the first week, but heard Jesus was there and thought to himself, I need to be there. Man, could you imagine if you didn't come to church and Jesus showed up on that day? You would you'd probably hope, I hope he comes next week. Everybody would be here next week to see if he was going to come, right? But was he there hiding in the crowds? Feeling as though the place might fall in on him? That that he might suddenly be called to attention, that people might say, Oh, there's that guy with the withered hand. You know, he's probably just trying to lay low. Maybe he has something to cover himself up. I think it's interesting because things are not much different today. I, I mean, think about that. How how many of us wandered into a church for the very first time because something in our life was withered? Something in our life was broken. We just went through the divorce. We just found out the diagnosis. Or we just had a friend really hurt us. Or we had a breakup. Or we, we just felt like we were ready to kill ourselves and it's like the last thing I'm, I'm going to do, I'm just going to go into this church. And then you get there and you're afraid that somebody from your past might see you. Like, what if somebody's here from my party days? Or what if somebody's here who knows who I really am? And the hypocrisy of th- that thought just kind of makes you kind of shrink into the back i think that happens a lot i think people come into a church and what do they do they sit in the back corner and and they want to be unnoticed but then also they want to be noticed they don't want attention drawn to them but maybe they were thinking you know my friend went to that church and and they were changed and some god did something in their life and maybe god could do that for me will i be touched can god fix what's wrong with me is that possible? And yet oftentimes those people leave and they're never touched. They're never acknowledged. They're never greeted. They're never loved. I think that's something we need to think about as a congregation. When somebody wanders in here for the first time, you know, it's good to, to kind of be vigilant. At what's going on with people around us? Maybe they are hurting. Maybe they are going through a hard time. You know, I think that we oftentimes, and this is just maybe indicative of our culture, we, we wander into a church, we wander into a situation, we think, okay, what's in it for me? You know, I hope the worship's good today. I hope the sermon's interesting. I hope that it doesn't go too long.
0: Thanks again for listening to Abide in Truth with Pastor Mike Hughes. If you would like a copy of today's sermon in its entirety, call us at 208-365-0991 or send us a text at 208 208-